You're listening to the Art of Floating podcast. Welcome back to the Art of Floating podcast. It's great to have you here. I've got Lance from the Float Shack. Hey, everyone. I've got Amy from Float Nashville. Hey, y'all. And uh, um, we have a really cool episode here. Uh, We've got an interview with Colleen Wolrab. She's the lab manager at LIBER, the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. Um, You probably know Justin Feinstein, the director of LIBER, um, and he has approved this really interesting interview with Colleen. What we're going to do is we're going to play a bunch of segments of this interview throughout the show, and uh, we'll we'll talk about them in between as well. And I think you'll be uh, very interested uh, by this interview. Um, but just a little personal stuff first. Um, I think uh, we've all had interesting weeks here. Just uh, another week of construction at the float shop. We're adding a new float tank. Um, and uh, so we just have a bunch of people in our shop on Tuesdays doing mad construction. And, um, of course, we're helping out as much as we can to <laughs> basically to save costs. And, and you know, we, we help cut wood and stuff to trim down the time for, for construction. But um, we're doing some amazing soundproofing. And, and I, I don't love admitting this, but I, I pretty have been pretty open about the fact that the float shop doesn't have the best soundproofing. Um, it never has, and um, I think we're really about to change that with this float room. So I'm so excited. I think when we're done or maybe closer to being finished, I'll, I'll share with everybody what exactly we're doing uh, for soundproofing this room. It's going to be really cool, and then we'll take that information and spread it to the other float rooms. So that's where we're at. Amy, you had an interesting week, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know it's going to be a good one. I, uh, when you get a call at about 10 o'clock at night mm. from your your float center um, manager saying, hey, I just went to flip the tank and it's all pink. Uh, So yeah, we had someone who had recently dyed their hair and uh, went in and floated and turned our turned our uh, water pink and we of course rushed to the center to try to figure out how to fix this. How pink Um, are we talking? We are talking pretty freaking pink. We are talking. Yeah, it was bright pink. If, if yeah. this were tea, would it be weak tea? Would it be strong tea? Where on the scale? It, it would be strong tea. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, she must have just uh, done it or something. Oh. I, I don't even know. Um, I was worried about it staining the liner because yeah. then our water would never, ever look clean again. Um, of course, as Mark and I are heading over there, uh, Jessica, who's working, had looked up all these things on like WeFloat and wherever she could find information on how to get hair dye out of the water. Um, and everybody was suggesting these um, like filters with uh, charcoal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we can't use those. <laughs> we don't <laughs> have those for our filter. <laughs> so nice. I'm like, thanks, Jessica. We don't got that. Oh. Uh, but um, but we just we ran the pump a long time. We threw in uh, some spa perfect and we ran the pump and changed filters every cool. 20 minutes or so wow and, yeah uh, yeah eventually <laughs> now you can't when when the water's not running it's crystal clear when we when we run the filters you see a slight <laughs> a slight tinge just a uh, reminder. but we're getting ready to change water here soon so hopefully we'll take care of that problem cool uh, at that point so yeah good uh, week good nice. week and lance I saw some good stuff from you happen this week. Yeah, well, we just um, we received our first package from I think it's called the Red Deer Christmas Bureau, and um, that's just an association that's got together to sort of help um, 
get gifts from people throughout the city to bring them to less fortunate families. So that's probably a campaign we'll be running probably beginning or the middle of this month. So that'd be November. Um, we're going to start that and you'll get a little bit of your discount from your gift certificate if you bring in a food, toy or clothing donation. So getting ready to start that and they dropped off a nice beautiful box it's all gift wrapped up that looks fancy so that's so cool Mm -hmm. i love that idea so much that is absolutely awesome um amy back to your hair tie i guess but i not i don't think i can add anything i think what you described is exactly right which is the charcoal filters Uh, for anybody listening if you can use charcoal filters I think that really speeds the process and then Mm -hmm. swapping filters out very consistently, cleaning them and then putting them back in and um, just basically just running the filters. And it looks like you already found that answer. But I just want to verify like that's that's what we do when we get hair dye in our tanks. And uh, we're implementing uh, a uh, another policy that when they call, you know, we have a list of things that we tell first time floaters. Uh So now we're adding to that list. If you have dyed your hair in the last week. Uh, please, please make your uh, appointment at a different time wow, because that's that was our core. Interesting, uh, interesting, Amy. Water clarifiers should help with that as well. That should help mm-hmm. some of the dyes sort of gob up and be better collected from the filter instead of just passing through. And, and that's the spot perfect you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Not quite. Okay, no. can you clarify for me? Sure. There, uh, and Lance, I, I'll let you talk to this because I believe you mentioned this in an earlier episode, the, even the brand name of clar- clarifier that you use. And we don't keep any at the center, but uh, um, I think I might have to now. Could you talk to that a little bit more, Lance? Yeah. The, <clears throat> sorry. Um, the water clarifier, what that does, it just um, I know it takes oils and, and stuff in the water and it sort of gets it to collect together. So it actually will be caught by the filter. Um, without that, mm-hmm. um, the small particles will just pass through the filter. So um, this just helps everything bunch up and get caught. Um, the enzyme or spa perfect um, actually just eats some of the, the stuff that gets in the water. So Nice. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to uh, pick some of that up. I'll have to do a little bit of shopping. Cause, right. Because that, that does make you panic when you see it for the first time. Yeah, and, and it makes clients panic. It doesn't look like clean water, and it's yeah. just hair dye, but, yeah, if people see that. It, it just doesn't look aesthetically clean. Yeah. yeah. We've lost a lot more towels to hair dye than um, <laughs> yes. we've, we've never had our water tinge, but we've had purple and blue and brown and red yeah. towels, but mm-hmm. um, luckily not our water yet. So. Yeah, that's a rough one. <laughs> uh, last week, actually the week before, we had someone who was very careful. She dyed her hair purple and she was careful. She actually wore a swim cap and that sort of thing. Um, but as she was washing her hair post-float, as the water from her hair flung off, the dye actually uh, dyed our tank, the outside of our Oasis tank, our white fiberglass. Uh, it took a lot of scrubbing to get that off. Just a lot of um, a lot of time and... And effort by everyone. And now you can barely tell. Oh God. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, we have had a ring. I think it was like a like a purpley ring around our float tank after somebody left hair dye in. I, I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, and it, it we had to wait till Tuesday to get that deep cleaning in there to, to get it. And that's on fiberglass. So. Yeah. That's rough. That's tough. 
Um, I want to jump into these interviews here. So I'm really excited to introduce Colleen Wolrab. She's the land manager at uh, LIBER, the Lori Institute for Brain Research. Um, and you probably know um, Justin Feinstein. Um, he's the um, director of LIBER, at least of the float clinic and the research center. And he did want me to just give a little heads up on this interview that um, he basically what he just said was Colleen's been working in this lab since July of this year. She's been integral in their first fMRI study. And over the last four months, she's done an incredible job learning a number of new research techniques, including functional neuroimaging, uh, psychophysiology, and obviously floating as well. So I think he just wanted to give her a nice warm welcome to the interview and let everybody know that she's... um, doing some some she's <laughs> done well in the uh in the lab um but before we start the um playing snippets of the interview um i just want to mention that um results are brought up a few different times during the show and i just want to make sure it's very clear that these are all preliminary results um and that we shouldn't draw any strong conclusions from anything until they've completed analyzing the data set so the complete data set so um Basically, it's a very small snippet, all the information that we have so far um, compared to what they're actually going to be analyzing. So anything that we talk about, that should really be um, uh, known just throughout. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Absolutely. Good, good. Um, so the first segment here, um, we're just going to talk about um, Colleen and how she became a part of LIBER and just the uniqueness of the research that uh, that they're doing at LIBER. I am from Sarasota, Florida. Um, it's in the southwest coast. And I went elementary, middle, high school there. And then I ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma because I was on the rowing team there at TU. I went to the University of Tulsa. So I stayed there for four years and went to school and rowed. And then uh, I needed a job after graduation, and I knew I wanted to be into get into research mm-hmm. um, to some extent. And found out about Justin and the float research here. It was really interesting to me. So that's how I ended up at LIBER. Nice. Would you say the research going on here is pretty standard? Would you say it's very different from a lot of research? Where on that spectrum does it lie? Well, the float research is extremely novel and um different than any other sort of research I'd ever encountered Mm -hmm. or done myself. Uh, Yeah, I'd never, I'd never heard of floating until I heard Justin talk about it. He came and did a lecture at TU where I went to school. Okay, got it. And I was, everyone actually was just like fascinated. We'd never heard of floating before. Um, There wasn't really any floating in Oklahoma. Well, there's, there's some floating in Oklahoma, but I guess none of the college kids had heard about it yet. Uh So when Justin came and talked, it was super interesting to all of us. And we'd never heard of anything like it before. And so what was the response like from the from the other students? Was it was it interest but critical? Was it like, I want to try it? Or was it the research interest of it? I would say a lot of those things. So hmm. some kids uh, were definitely very critical and were like, oh my gosh, um, uh, I can't believe this is a thing that we're studying. <laughs> but then they later on became more and more interested and haven't actually come and float themselves. Oh, really? Kind of been converted by me, but, um, (laughs) nice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but most people were just generally very, very interested and excited about it. Cool. I'm curious that not to digress too far here, but about the skeptical students, what, what was their skepticism from? Just that they didn't know how profound of an effect it could have, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of clinical implications Mm -hmm. on, any sort of mental disorder. Yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, I mean, that's what we're studying, really, eventually, and we're trying to figure out. 
So that was Colleen talking about becoming a part of LIBOR and the uniqueness of the research. Um, Amy, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I found it interesting uh, how she mentioned how when she first heard about floating research, I guess Justin went and talked to her class and the majority of those students found it very interesting, but there were still some skeptics. Right. So when you, uh, and it just struck me because, you know, we deal with this every single day. People look at us like, what, you want me to pay you money to come and sit in a Epsom salt bath? Uh, And, you know, if these people who have an interest in clinical studies and actually understand the physiological aspects behind floating are still finding, are still uh, coming to it with some skepticism, you know, think about how much more we as float center owners have on a daily basis. So on those days when we get really frustrated and um, wondering, you know, why can't people just do it and try it and yeah. see how amazing it is. Um, understand that um, this will probably be a process that will happen the rest of our lives, yeah. and and that's okay. <laughs> right. It's all right trying to do <laughs> let that get you down. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like even the people who are, who it to us would seem like the most interested people, still were super mm-hmm. skeptical at first. I, I think that's really good to point out. But it's also good to see that people can be turned as well after learning a little bit more about it. It seemed like the excitement grew from it as well. So. It's possible. It's possible. So (laughs) in the next segment, we're going to talk about um, what the offices actually look like, what the the lab and the monitoring equipment look like, what exactly they're doing in there. And I should also note that um, they use a Kinect sensor. It's an Xbox sensor that can get your uh, video feed and gets your skeletal structure, a very basic image of that. Um, uh, Although Colleen doesn't mention it in this interview, she did mention to me afterwards that... um, what they actually use with the Kinect sensor is very dumbed down. So I we, we touch on it a little bit, but I just want to get it really clear that, um, and I actually got to see this while I was while I was there was that um, basically you have two segments for your arms, maybe a segment or two for your torso, and two segments for your legs, and and they actually get to show you this um, that there's no actual video camera. I mean, literally, there's no video recording. It's completely disabled. And I just wanted to make it clear that. Um, the sensor is very basic in what they're using. Um, but let's go ahead and cut to that segment. So I have been to LIBOR. Um, it's a it's a amazing space. I mean, the hospital itself is massive. I mean, city blocks, I would say, is an understatement. Is that right? I mean, it's, it's the, oh, yeah. o- overall, the, um, the absolutely San massive. The healthcare system is, is huge. Right. Yeah. It's just a metropolis. Just a small part of it. But. Sure. And, and so can you give people, I mean... I'm, I'm pretty lucky to have been there and been able to see everything, but can you describe your offices a little bit and just kind of the overall picture between the, the, um, the float rooms themselves and, and your personal offices? Great. So um, I'll start with our personal offices. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's upstairs, and it's just a typical um, open office floor plan. Uh, research assistants like me, we just have some cubicles all throughout, and then lining, lining that are the PI's offices, and that stands for Principal Investigator. People okay. like uh, Dr. Feinstein, that's Justin, mm-hmm. uh, they have offices all along the wall. And then downstairs is actually where uh, the MRIs are. That's where we scan people's brains using functional neuroimaging. And then also um, really close actually is where the float tanks are. We have two float tanks. And so we're able to walk them, they'll float, and then we'll walk them right over to the brain scanners. And from what I could tell, that's pretty unheard of. I mean, just to have two fMRI machines right down the hallway. Um, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, we're actually the only place in Oklahoma that has um, fMRIs. Wow. So we're really lucky. 
and for them to, I mean, literally to be feet away. I mean, such a short walk is incredible. Um, and what do you get from those FRI scan, fMRI scans? Well, um, we get a view of different, the actual activation within the brain, of which areas more or less light up during different tasks that we do with mm-hmm, the participants mm-hmm. in the scanner. Mm-hmm. So we try to see which brain regions become activated by different tasks. Okay. Cool. I think we'll touch on that a little bit more later uh, in the interview. But uh, can you go um, and take us into the float rooms themselves? What, what do they look like? Okay. So they're really beautiful in my opinion. But, um, <laughs> I would agree with that. They're incredible. So we have a nice uh, restroom stocked with anything you might need um, before the float. Uh, there's a wicker hamper, whatever else. And then you walk into the float room. They're quite large, actually. And you, we have our big open tank. So, yeah, we have our big open tank right in the center of the room. And there's a shower right next to it. And, yeah, it's just a really open space. Yeah. Um, the the flooring um, is also pretty novel to me as well. I mean, completely water-sealed, um, non-slip flooring as well. And then there are some things that you guys have um, that I don't think the standard float center might have, um, things that you use for monitoring. Can you tell us about the, the equipment used for monitoring and, and what you monitor during a float? So um, just for the first, the participants will come in and they'll float five times. Okay. So for the first three floats, um, if, they're, if they had been randomized to the float pool condition, They'll float and we'll actually talk with them if they need to hear anything. Typically, we won't communicate with them much, but um, okay. we do have an intercom system if they need to hear us. Okay. But uh, the fourth and fifth floats are a little more interesting because we're able to monitor things like heart rate, um, breathing rate, uh, brain activity with an EEG, as well as in our future studies, and we'll be able to monitor real-time blood pressure. And what's an EEG? Um, an electroencephalogram, so that measures your brain waves. Okay, and what brain waves would we be measuring? What What are you looking for? Well, that's a good question because we haven't found anything significant with that so far, huh. but we're just more or less exploring what we could find. Okay, and I I think when I was down there, and gosh, I think it's been a year now, um, maybe a little bit less than that, but um, someone was working on checking blood pressure live during the float, but I think the salt was quite an issue and, and just being in water. Is that what the issue has been? or? Well, we've actually needed, needed, mediated that issue since okay. then, and um, we do have a working blood pressure cuff that is waterproof. Okay, cool. Yay, nice. Um, also, we can track motion with two things. Uh, we have a Kinect system. So, you mm-hmm. know, Kinect, like, X, not Xbox. Is that yeah. X- uh-huh. Xbox Kinect, yeah. We have that um, up on the ceiling of the float tank, actually, and it's just a little um, green light, but it'll track the participants' motion. It'll give us like a skeleton of what their body looks like uh-huh. and see what they're doing during the float. Have any participants had any concern about being like the idea of being filmed or anything like that? No, because um, our engineer, Jesse, he developed a film to show the participants what it looks like because it's cool. not like we're really filming them. It's mm-hmm. uh, It's just a more or less green stick figure mm-hmm. of them. Uh, also, we have uh, accelerometers on their wrists to track their motion in a three-plane three plane way. And that is what their office looks like. It's it's pretty phenomenal. And, it, and again, I've, I've been there. It, I almost feel like this interview was a little bit of an... I uh, didn't even sell it as as amazing as it is. I mean, truly, the, the some of the best floats I've had have, have been at Liber. It, it's amazing. It sounds um, beautiful. 
uh, Amy, you were talking about fMRI machines versus MRI yeah. machines before the show. Um, would you want to talk about that a little bit on, sure. on the air? And, you know, the funny thing is I she didn't mention, she you all were talking about how amazing the fMRI machines were. And I admit when I first listened to this interview, I didn't quite know the difference. Uh-huh. Um, but I talked to a friend of mine who's in the medical, and she broke it down to something extremely simple. She basically told me the MRI uh, shows uh, anatomical structures, and the fMRIs shows views of the metabolic function. So we're seeing some pretty cool things happening that normally we would never even be aware of and that's what makes it so profound and so amazing uh it is really exciting that here you are you can get right from your float tank walk down the hall and (laughs) uh, state-of-the-art into the the state-of-the-art uh scanning machine that's it blows my mind that uh that the the significance of what's happening in the study yeah and agreed um when i was actually given a tour of the space, um, I was told that other people at different hospitals or research centers would come in and not nothing regarding floating, um, but would just be amazed that they had two fMRI machines in their facility and they didn't have a week's long queue to even use it. Like the fact that it was there, that there were two of them and that it was accessible was remarkable. So yeah. um, these float tanks are in good hands. The, the research being done... <laughs> Very exciting. Like, it's not just happening. It's happening in an amazing research facility. So awesome. So cool. <laughs> um, the next segment, segment um, talks a little bit more about um, how they're actually running their float rooms, some of the technical specs of the, the tanks in the rooms, and also how participants get into the tanks. And then um, Colleen also, also talks about sanitation in the float tanks as well. Let's give it a listen. A few technical questions um, for the float centers out there. What is the, uh, the temperature of the, the rooms, and what's the temperature of the water? Right, so we like to keep the temperature of the rooms about 94 degrees. Um, water, also about 94. Sometimes it goes up to 95, 94 to 95 degrees. Um, we also calibrate the rim temperature, so that's uh, the actual temperature of the uh, plastic rim around the pool, wow. as well as the air temperature. Did I, I already touched on the air temperature. Uh-huh. But yeah. Wow. Um, humidity, I've heard that that's also something that you guys are addressing. We're, that's still in the works. Uh, we haven't quite perfected that, but that's actually, Colin is working on that today. Okay. Oh, you know, one other thing is you have the float arounds and then you also, or excuse me, they're both float arounds, but one is open and the other is closed. Um, right. Is, is there any process for which they go into first? Or do, they, do they just get to choose? No. So the first three times they come in the float, they'll float in the open just to acclimate them because we figured that would be the best for a first time floater. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth time they'll float, they'll float in the closed. And then on their fifth visit, they'll actually go into our control condition. Cool. You know, kind of a quick random question about sanitation. Um, Do you have procedures for making sure everything is sanitized between floats? Right. So um, just in terms of the water, we dose it with peroxide. I believe it's 35% peroxide. Um, And we do that for about 20 seconds, pouring that in. And then also... um, just in terms of cleaning the room, I'm typically the person who cleans the room between uh-huh. floats. And I use a uh, just a non-scented cleaner. It's called Virex. Uh, okay. And that will, I clean anything the participant may have touched. I don't put that actually on the float pool itself because mm-hmm. I don't want to damage the water. Mm-hmm. But I'll do that in the shower area or any place they may have touched. And Virex, that's um, a pretty powerful sanitizer. Is that right? Yeah. That's my understanding. Uh, but I think it's. 
very powerful, but also very safe. Okay, cool. Um, one thing I do want to mention about this segment was that, um, or Colleen did let me know that uh, they also use UV in these filtration systems. Uh, that should also be noted. She said that they actually have six different UV bulbs for every pool. Um, they're also using a 10 micron filter in addition to the 35% hydrogen peroxide that, that she mentioned in there. So just wanted to add that as well. Um, as somebody who owns an open float tank, I, it was interesting to hear that they have their first three floats um, in their open float tank. Um, I, I so consistently throughout the week hear, hear people who are um, inhibited towards getting into a float tank because of the idea of a lid. Um, so I, I, um, it, it's nice that I can go, cool, that's so great that we have that open float tank and that I, I think it's great that they're doing that as well. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, the classic float tank has a lid to it. What do, what do you think? Well, I'm going to be honest. The interesting thing is, at least that we find, is even the ones who start out in the open float tank almost always move to a closed tank and ah. find that to be a much better float. Um, but that said, their logic behind why they do this makes sense from a research standpoint. But I can't help but wonder what the impact has on the relaxation. And I'm mm. curious if they started the opposite way, if they started with the closed tank uh -huh. and went to the open, what kind of impact, if any, would that have on the study, yeah. which we'll probably never know. Well, uh, who knows? I mean, this I'm research curious. could go on forever. I'm sure they can switch it up. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, the idea is probably allowing them more comfort, the idea of not being in an enclosed space. But um mm -hmm. Their tanks, right. I mean, you can stand up in them without hitting the ceiling. So wow. I, I can imagine that at some point they might even switch that over to maybe it being optional, whatever somebody's more comfortable with. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but why do you people end up in closed float tanks? Uh, they get comfortable with the idea once they find the that they're getting results uh -huh. from floating. They they come one day and they find out maybe the t the float tank their open tank is not right. available which we only have one right so they go into the more traditional closed tanks mm -hmm. and they come out and they're like that was amazing i didn't think <laughs> it'd get any better and really um so i have theories about that but you know that's probably another show wow we have uh, to have an open tank <laughs> episode I, uh, I have a lot of a lot of uh, uh theories and uh ideas about that All but right. um is there now so one of the other things i wanted to to bring up did anybody else think that the air temp uh, sounded really, really warm? Where do you, where do y'all keep your air temp at? Um, well, our air temperature varies throughout the year, and mm. honestly, we don't have a set temperature. I actually have an article posted on this. I'll throw it in the show links, the show oh. notes, but. Um, basically seasonally we have to change the temperature during the summer we have it cooler in our rooms and during the winter we, we turn our temperature up but as far as the open tank room goes i didn't feel like 94 was a, a crazy um uh temperature okay. we, we keep it very toasty in our open room which which uh mm. maybe maybe that's why our open floaters love our float tank i don't know maybe <laughs> that has to do it. no no i think it's great uh, we do too we keep a thermometer we do keep yeah. a temp uh, thermometer in there because uh -huh. we because i i did start seeing you know well are people more comfortable with it warmer mm -hmm. um but we find that if we get it above 90 we usually keep it around 88 to 90 degrees and we find if we get it above 90 degrees people start complaining it's way too hot in there too humid have trouble breathing uh-huh Okay. So, um, so I guess to me, when I first heard that, I'm like, oh my gosh, my people would have a coronary. Um, <laughs> they probably wouldn't do that, but, um, 
we just find that above 90 people just start to complain yeah. a lot more about that so well sort of i'm curious it's a southern thing i'm curious about humidity um and how much humidity mm-hmm. can affect your perception of temperature and mm-hmm. and yeah. i i don't remember exactly what their humidity felt like so i don't want to speak for it but I'm, I'm curious if they have lower humidity than in in your float room or in my float room i'm i'm just curious about that and because i know it can humidity can kind of create a buffer for t- yeah. uh, temperature perception just a thought yeah, i think you're probably right about that ventilation probably has a lot to do with it i think you're right lance do you know what you keep your temperature at in your rooms yeah ours are kept around um, 91 to 92 and a half is what we're maintaining Um, we find if we get anything over 93 people have a lot of problem with like you said that humidity or just heavy air and breathing and um, uh, we've actually found people like it I don't, I'm not sure if they like it or they can just relax more, but we get less negative feedback kept at cooler temperatures. So, um, Got it. Each, each of our rooms are individually controlled by separate thermostats as well. So, How um, nice. Keep that room temperature up as someone. We only have tanks. We don't have an open float right. tank. I haven't had to deal with all that struggle and, yeah. and learning curve yet, but mm-hmm. um, lots of people like to float with their door open, so we like to keep our mm-hmm. room temperature as close to our tank temperature as possible. Nice. Cool. Smart. Going into the next segment here, uh, we get to actually talk about the control groups uh, for people going into the floats versus the control group, um, and then we get to hear a little bit about the results or at least talk about them them a little bit so let's hear that can i talk about the control group a little bit um so we have the two different float tanks but um justin during the conference did talk about um i think a anti-gravity chair yeah so we we call it a zero gravity chair um zero gravity it's so what we tell the participants before they float rather whether they're in the pool or the chair we tell them that they're going to be entering an environment with reduced pressures of light and reduced pressures of sound hmm. or reduce um not pressures, reduced levels of light sure. and reduced levels of sound okay. and reduced pressure on the spinal cord. Hmm. So um, all of those things are true. It's a little more extreme in terms of the reduction of light and sound in the pool condition, okay. but we do turn off the lights and um, have them in a quiet room with this chair. And it's a... Uh, memory foam backed chair so that does reduce the pressure on their spinal cord as well okay and then what are you measuring between the two or maybe i guess just overall i mean i we've covered a lot of different things that you're measuring but um what are you seeing um what kind of results are you seeing and what kind of results are you seeing between the zero gravity chair and the floats so so far we have really delved into the self-report data so that's questionnaires that the subjects have filled out Mm -hmm. and we haven't looked at that very recently but um, we have this one scale called serenity and it's more or less how uh, relaxed and at ease a person is Mm -hmm. and that seems to be uh, more elevated in the pool than the uh, chair condition okay and also i'm starting to look at this more closely but we do uh, salivary cortisol uh, before and after the float so that's um, a little cotton swab that'll measure their stress levels and we haven't found anything yet with that but uh we're looking a little more closely at that okay and what do you mean you haven't found anything yet it just um the data we still just haven't com- had time to analyze it oh okay got it um yeah. and so as far as the preliminary results that justin presented at the conference um mm-hmm. are there any updates to that um and actually even would you even want to summarize if you feel comfortable with it what uh what preliminary findings you had 
Right, so um, that was just based off of our first group of eight participants having floated in the chair and eight participants having floated in the pool. Okay. And um, to the best of my knowledge, I think he reported at the float conference about some of our self-report data. And I think he did mention the serenity scale that I just mentioned. Um, some other self-report things like how refreshed do you feel? People tend to feel a lot more refreshed after being in the pool rather than the chair. And then also in terms of the scan data, the brain scan, uh, we both mostly found differences in the dopaminergic pathway. So that just um, means that dopamine levels were higher potentially in the pool versus the chair. And what is dopamine? That's a um, like the pleasure uh, neurotransmitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> also, uh, I don't know if he presented on this, but we recently found, Justin did, recently signed, mm -hmm. that these uh, this data from those first eight and eight somewhat replicated a previous study he had found on a uh, anti-anxiety drug. Oh. So um, after the brain scan for the people in the float pool condition, their amygdala response um, went out for one of our tasks, which um, did not happen in the chair condition. But this this is exactly what happened when he was studying an anti-anxiety drug. So you're saying it, what do you mean it went out? What does like, that mean? Like um, the amygdala, the region of your brain uh, that has a lot to do with emotion. Mm -hmm. um, it no longer lit up during the brain scan, so uh, there wasn't as much activation there as there was in the chair condition. So if somebody gives you some bad news, you're not going to have as strong of a response. Is that kind of the baseline of uh, what I don't know if we could necessarily say that, okay. but uh, basically I... he was excited that it looked, it looked similar to the previous okay. study he'd done with the drug. What was that drug for? Um, it was an anti-anxiety medication. Uh -huh. So... I mean, this is good um, long-term looking at that, thinking this that floating might help people with anxiety disorders. Sure. So you personally looking at, at the result. Oh, actually, before I get to your, your personal view, um, you've done eight and eight. Eight control, um, I don't know what you call them, floats, but eight control mm -hmm. in the chair and eight, eight uh, floats. Um, as of when Justin presented, have you had more since then? Oh, yes. We've had quite a few more. Um, okay. So far, we've had about... 34 people oh, come wow. in. Okay. So uh, about twice, about twice. We haven't had chance had a chance to analyze the brain scan data yet from okay. that. We're going to do it once um, we have all 40 participants. Wow, so you're almost there. Okay. Yeah, almost. Um, how long does it take to analyze that data? Um, honestly, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I think uh, anywhere from between a few weeks and months. Okay. I'm, yeah. I, I, I couldn't imagine <laughs> <laughs> what, what that's like. Um, what is, what's your personal take on the results you've seen so far? Well, personally, we haven't really seen that many results so far because mm -hmm. I have just been collecting, collecting, collecting data. We haven't had time to analyze it. So okay. um, I'm just anxiously waiting to hear back from Justin or whoever else is going to actually delve into the data sure. and uh, see what the results are. Cool. Anecdotally, just I, I do like not formal debriefing, but I talk to the participants after they float yeah. um, and just try to get a good sense of their experience. Uh -huh. So I have I have seen quite a few um, uh, participants talk anecdotally about their experiences. Mm -hmm. And the most striking thing I've seen um, is differences in sleep. So participants yes. will come in saying, oh, I, I, um, 
I have t terrible time sleeping, but it was bizarre. I came in to participate in your study, and I had a wonderful night's sleep the next night. So that's uh, the difference between their floats and um, floats different than a chair. I mean, the, the results were that they are very different. I mean, I, I, I almost don't care what they're measuring, just the fact that there is a big difference between uh, being in a float tank and being in a zero gravity chair for 90 minutes at a time. Um, that makes me happy that I, I really yeah. dig that, um, per particularly the naysayers who just say, man, might as well just be in my bathtub or I can I can <laughs> lay in bed at home, that kind of thing. Um, those are just like needles underneath my fingernail. I just can't I can't stand it when people say that. Um, so being able to when when she says that, I I love it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, gives us some hope that there's going to be some very, very cool findings here in the near future. Uh, and, and I think it talks to, I remember seeing an article a long time ago where, uh, and I, I wish I could remember the researcher's name, but he, he talked about, uh, he had done research with the dry rest chambers as well as float tanks, and he was talking about the differences and how they affected um, the people differently and they affected different parts of the brain. Uh, and I think this, once again, just goes to show that different things happen when we're in an environment where a lot more sensory uh, input is taken away. Hmm. And the amygdala response... Yeah. Y'all catch that um, about how it's similar to a previous study done on anti-anxiety medication. Right. How exciting is that? <laughs> Who knows what's coming down the, what's coming down with that? You right. know, yeah, it could have big implications <sighs> for what we do. So big, it's crazy. I I can't wait to find out. I I can't wait. Um, I mean, we're we're gonna hear more over these segments, but um, just like the timeline of everything and when information is gonna come out. But um, even it doesn't matter as much as when that comes out. It's just like once it gets to everybody's brains, you know, once everybody mm -hmm. knows this information, it's I'm I'm excited for that that spread of yeah. info. Um, let's see here. Over the next segment, uh, we're gonna talk about the the facility itself, how they make people comfortable um, going into their floats, and then um, what they're actually measuring when they get out of the floats, when they're um, tested, what are they measuring, and why those things are important. So let's give that a listen. Going into a hospital for a float feels, or at least sounds, a lot different than going into a float center, um, yeah. where you know it's designed to be super comfortable. With that being said, when I was at Liber, it looks like you guys put a lot of care into making it very comfortable. Yeah, I would say, um, especially we have this lounge area, which actually there's a beautiful mural painted by your wife there. Um, <laughs> it overlooks a pond as well, this lounge area. There's a comfortable couch where you have them sit, and uh, that's where they fill out their questionnaires, and I take their blood pressure and their temperature and whatnot. So they'll oh, okay. look from there, and they'll walk in. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a hospital, um, at least down there. Colleen, can I ask you a little bit more about what it is that you're measuring? Right. So um, our primary dependent measure would definitely be the brain scan data, the fMRI. Um, so we have participants go and do three tasks while they're in the scanner, as well as we look at uh, their resting data, just what their brain looks like just laying down, staring at the screen, a blank screen. Okay. But So we have three tasks for them. Uh, the first task is a task where they're trying to feel the, their heartbeat sensations, their stomach sensations. And those are internal feelings, right? Um, so we're trying to see the differences between the pool and the chair and how well they're able to perceive their uh, heart and stomach sensations, right? And then the second task is a task where they're going to, it's an emotional task to see um, how well they can regulate emotions. 
In this task, they're staring at neutral shapes and trying to match shapes and just match the correct shapes. Then that's just neutral. But okay. um, also, they're matching faces based off of emotions. Oh. So we'll do that. And then we have a reward task. Um, this is the task that I was talking about earlier that Justin found the results they presented on okay. at the yep. conference. Mm -hmm. uh, so this task, the, they can actually earn money on. And it's a right. reaction time task where they try to press as quickly as they can and try to earn some money. The people in the float condition, mm -hmm. um, their dopaminergic pathway lit up a lot more um, for the high rewards. So they got, in theory, really excited and interest about positive rewards okay. than people um, in the control condition. Okay, I see. And does that mean anything to you? What it, and maybe more anecdotally, but I mean, for you personally, what does that mean? Um, honestly, not a lot. Okay. I... I think it'll be interesting to look at the task with the faces and shapes a lot more to see emotions mm -hmm. and see how that carries into anxiety disorders and whatnot. Okay. And so why does that not mean anything to you or, or so little? Yeah, I'm sorry to say nothing, but... not mean anything to me. <laughs> just, I mean, it probably means something to Justin, but I just don't know how to interpret oh, okay. that. Yeah. When you're talking about... Um, being able to um, feel your heartbeat or sense uh, mm -hmm. different parts. Why is that important? So that's all about interoception, which I'm sure that Justin's talked to you about before. Mm -hmm. That's what he does. Um, yeah. So that's basically just how you're able to perceive your inner self, which I guess in the float tank, you try to get rid of all of your external sensations and any sort of external stimuli so mm -hmm. that you can really focus on your inner self. Um, so very interesting information, and um, we don't really know what exactly that means. Uh, do you guys have any ideas on what that means? <laughs> Not at all, but it still it sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna take it. Right. Yeah. Again, like kind of what I said before. Like, there's a difference. Awesome. Great. There's there's yeah. something measurable. That's good. Um, my personal hypothesis on this is that. Um, I mean, everybody talks about leaving a float and being, it's like the reset button has been pushed. Um, you always feel super refreshed. You feel very relaxed, but present at the same time. I just think that state means you're more able to respond to things um, as opposed to um, when you've gone through your entire day, you're worn out or the end of the week when you're worn out and your response time drops down, this is, you've, you've hit that reset button. And it's not even the same as that groggy feeling when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're just centered. It just naturally puts you there. So I don't know. Yeah. How... <laughs> That's my thoughts on it. They probably I, won't I that this... put that in their paper, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are great thoughts. I would have put it in my paper. Just seeing <laughs> If I had a paper, I would put it in. Just write that, that down on a piece brilliant. of paper, would you? That's right. It'll make me feel just good. Just for you. <laughs> <laughs> in the next segment, we're going to talk about what's coming up in the future. And um, there's some interesting stuff mm -hmm. here. So let's give it a listen. What are you looking forward to as far as all this research goes? All right, so I'm looking to, forward to finishing this first project so that we can look at that scan data. But also, I'm most um, excited about a study we're going to be starting next um, next January, so in a few months. Uh -huh. uh, that'll be a longitudinal study. So people will come and float about 10 times. And we're going to look and see some long-term changes and see how floating that many times affects people. Okay. For those 10 people, will they, they be standard healthy or will they be, there'll be any anxiety disorders, anything like that? Yeah, they'll be standard healthy. I 
I should say what I'm most, most looking forward to is finally getting a chance to work with uh, clinical populations um, at the middle to end of 2016. Okay. Because uh, I think that'll be most interesting to see how floating affects clinical populations. Yeah. And, and that's going to be kind of where the rest research is going over the next few years? Right, definitely. So actually, this fall, we're starting piloting some data with um, eating disorder patients. Okay. So they're not um, inpatient or anything. They're fully weight restored and recovered. But, okay. But uh, they still have like a history of eating disorders. Interesting. So we're... So we are starting with some clinical populations later this year. Um, I'll, I'll ask for a huge leap from you, but what might you expect from healthy um, anorexics or pe- people who have had anorexia recovered? Um, hopefully uh, incre- or better body image mm-hmm. and uh, things of that nature. Okay. And so those will be things that you, you measure or you know oh, yes. in- inquire about. Very yeah. cool. So that's what's coming up. And... Um, what I found most interesting about that was that um, the the idea of um, stomach sens- sensation was actually brought up in a previous segment. But if they're studying anorexia, um, I think stomach sensation and anorexia could be really closely aligned. So I'm I'm just curious if that mm-hmm. is going to come up as something where those two are are you know in in tandem with each other or not. But if they are, that just seems like a very I'm, I'm curious what we'll find there. How about that? There is definitely some exciting stuff coming up. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that that uh, float research is being given even this uh, opportunity mm-hmm. to discover these things. Um, this is this is really big. Yeah, absolutely. Coming from a massage therapy background where, you know, we can't get anybody to give money for massage therapy research. Huh. This is amazing. Huh. Uh, so it means that someone out there believes that there's something really big to be found. Cool. In the next segment here, I'm going to ask uh, Colleen about the claims regarding floating, the different claims that people make, and um, let's give that a listen. Weight loss, quitting smoking, addiction in general, um, sleep. What claims come out to you as being absolutely absurd or just uh, maybe based off really poor research that we maybe shouldn't be touting? And then is there any research that you think, yes, this is absolutely worthwhile and, and um, we, we should be able to make claims about? Really, what I'm most interested in is physiological changes with floating and seeing. So I think Tom Fine did. Are you familiar with him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he did a lot of research with blood pressure, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting indeed. And I think if floating has implications with anxiety, it might also have things like that to see um, hopefully decreased blood pressure throughout mm-hmm. time. And I think it, I believe it was Tom Fine who also did a cortisol test as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with that? I'm not entirely familiar with that. I've probably read his paper on it, but okay. um, yeah. So we're trying to replicate that then. See. So you'll be seeing if there's reduced cortisol over time as well. Yeah. So that would be neat. That would be neat. Which which Tom, I believe, showed that uh, is the case, and that's one of those claims that I do make, and I would uh, I would love to see that verified. Yeah, well, we can do that for you, hopefully. <laughs> nice. So, uh, I think Colleen doesn't. Colleen wants to know the information, right? <laughs> She's not going to make any claims <laughs> until she has the research. And I, of course, why didn't I know that? But, but uh, I'm curious. Do you guys make any any claims uh, that that maybe aren't covered by research yet, Lance? Yeah. 
Well, I'm just curious what claims we can make right now as right. Um, where we are in the industry. Uh, we talk about the magnesium absorption through the skin. Mm-hmm. We talk about um, um, different types of addictions and how this helps with PTSD and lower blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I like to have full research behind any claim I make. And right now I'm, you know, I try to keep everything you know, on the down low and just say, you know, how does it make you feel? How do you feel after your float? How do you how do you sleep? How do you feel the next few days? Um, what what claims are you, are you guys making? What's what do you say floating helps with or benefits? Or? Well, one thing I all, I'm very comfortable saying is I know that people that come in with inflammatory type issues, arthritis issues, um, as someone who practices lymphatic drainage. Uh, I know that when we lie in water, we move in water, that our superficial lymphatic system is stimulated. And when that's stimulated, it helps to carry the excess fluid out of the body. So uh, I'm very forward with saying, yeah, if you've got some inflammation going on, if you have some swelling going on, um, this is going to be super great for you. I don't, I don't want to say I guarantee results, but we know we're going to see some change because on a physiological level, something is going to happen while they're in that tank. Um, so I'm very comfortable with that. Um, I think one of the things I I won't say, and I don't know, I'm probably going to... Um, it's okay. Some I mean, you maybe. can make people angry. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so Just your, I, you know, your one voice, thing, your opinion. Well, I'm going to put this out. I'm going to put yeah. this out here because... and. and I am totally wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. And I I actually have asked for um, backup on this. But um, I I noticed a lot of people are saying, you know, we we can claim that floating helps with smoking cessation. Mm, Right. And um, I have I I actually want to make that claim pretty badly (laughs) Uh, as a as someone who has a business partner who does smoke. I would love Mm. to see uh, that change. (laughs) He's not Um, the poster child, is he? (laughs) No, no, not so much. (laughs) Uh, Not so much. Um, but you know, everything I see is, uh, you know, Sudfeld mentioning his different uh, studies and they're all with the chamber, uh, dry rest. And then he goes on to say, I was watching, I know what this was. I was watching a video. Uh, I think it was Carl from float nation was interviewing Sudfeld, Dr. Sudfeld. And he goes through all this, uh, each study that he did, and then about three quarters of the way through the video, he mentions that they tried it with, uh, in the float tank, but it had no effect at all. But all these other dry rest chambers had some really cool things happening, so... And there's that other researcher that neither of us can remember the name at the moment. Unfortunately, we'll, we'll put his name in the show notes. But um, <laughs> uh, he, he brought that up, that, that maybe dry rest should be looked at more, that there are different results yeah. that we're getting from, from chamber rest. So I just basically have to find a dark room to stick Mark in for 24 hours. <laughs> 24 um, hours. So, so it felt sunny. They, they tried less and more, and 24 seemed to be the sweet spot. Maybe so. maybe with some Grateful Dad <laughs> or Pink Floyd playing, he might be 48 <laughs> hours, not even know uh-huh. it. Um, That's right. Going back to Lance's magnesium, I I play that one pretty loose. And, like, if we're if there's a, a time crunch of getting people in, but I still want to go over the benefits, I'll just mention um, benefits of magnesium and magnesium absorption. For the most part, though, I, I do more of what Lance said, which was the anecdotal part, was mentioning, like, you know, we don't know. Um, but anecdotally, this is what I've seen. This is what people have reported. And honestly, um, 
everybody knows that if you you know soak your feet in epsom salt water like swelling will go down that kind of thing everybody knows that taking a bath with epsom salt water helps now that no when i say no it's kind of in quotation marks because there's no uh, research or, or very little research on whether that actually happens but there's this collective awareness or whether it's misinformation or not that it does do something um, and I would say that most of us who have taken a salt bath know that it that it does make a difference too so even if I just say anecdotally I, I don't even need to wink or anything they just get that yeah that Epsom salt makes a difference and if you have 800 to 1000 pounds in there yeah it's going to make it's going to do something and of course by the time they get out it's just it's pretty undeniable if the research doesn't show that i'm i'm just gonna have a hard time hard time with that in the next segment we are going to talk about magnesium and an upcoming study let's go ahead and cut to that can you tell me anything about uh, magnesium absor- absorption well i cannot yet but early next year or uh, early next year i might be able to okay so we're actually piloting that starting in a few weeks as well so okay we're doing some blood draws to test magnesium okay because I don't believe that it's ever been studied with floating before. Mm-hmm. No. Um, to the best of my knowledge, it hasn't been. Um, so, yeah, we'll be doing blood draws both before and after the float to see if magnesium somehow gets into your blood. Yeah, so basically there's almost no to very little research on magnesium absorption through the skin, whether it's float tank or otherwise. Um, and so um, I know Shoshana Liebner has been working on helping fund this and um, the Salt manufacturers themselves are actually um, funding this research to see if it's actually actually a true claim or not that magnesium right. is absorbed. Um, I should also mention that we're collecting urine analysis mm-hmm. of magnesium as well, mm-hmm. but that's besides the point. I can't wait for that. Um, that'll be really nice to actually be able to talk about magnesium to people in a, in a real <laughs> way and actually say that it's uh, been researched. So that'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Colleen, thank you so much for for joining us today. I appreciate it so much. No problem. Um, um, hopefully we can um, interview you again in the future and other members of your team as well. I know the float community is super interested in what you guys are doing, and any insights are just so much fun for us. So Okay. <laughs> so thank you again. I appreciate it, and um, I hope you have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that was Colleen. That was such an honor to have her on our show. I'm so grateful for her being so open to us and sharing everything that she did, um, even when the research isn't complete yet. Um, I, that was such a great insight to everything that's going on. And I guess I should actually re-note that, was that the, the research isn't done yet, um, that everything is preliminary here, so we should take that. Um, everything with a grain of Epsom salt. So sorry for that pun. I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> Yeah, anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up the show tonight? Well, I have to say that even though we we don't have the results yet, it was really an honor and certainly a privilege to look in on what they're doing Absolutely. and how they're going about it mm-hmm. and to see perhaps what the future might hold for us, yeah. which gets us really excited and motivated, ready to go out and deal with another week of die in the water and whatever other challenges we <laughs> <Right>. have. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to see what what comes up next from Library. It's it's wonderful that we get the opportunity to speak to Colleen and and keep up to date with what they're what they're doing. And um, I'm I'm just excited for our next interview with her. Yeah, and and anybody on the team really. Um, yes. Talking with Justin, and it sounds like that might be open to us is to to keep talking with everybody here. And you know, the guy working on the Connect sensor, the guy working on blood pressure, all that stuff, and just get some more insight on everything that's going on. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, we'd only be lucky to, to get get more information, so that'll be exciting. And and 
just the fact that this research is happening and in such an incredible environment, it, it's like we as a community could not ask for anything more. I don't think. I mean, <laughs> if you've got ideas, let me know. But I, I just don't think we could have been gifted anything anything nicer than the research that's going on uh, currently. So super exciting. Do you know if there's any way that um, any of us could could donate to Liber or donate to this float research or? Um, not that I'm aware of. I can reach out to them and maybe we can uh, cover that in another episode here. But um, I think they're a self-sustaining uh, entity, so I, I don't think we can contribute in that way. Um, there are certain things, certain studies that are going on outside of LIBOR that we can contribute to. But even those I don't think are in a financial capacity. Um, I mean, other than maybe like the FTA, and, and I want to cover that in another episode as well, but I think the FTA is funding some uh, research as well, but not LIBOR. As far as I know, science loves money. <laughs> science, <laughs> always, <laughs> science always needs more. There's always more research to be done, always more funding, and mm-hmm. people only have so much to give. So it, it's, it'd be interesting to know if they do have a way for us to, to help out. Okay, I'll, I'll contact yes. them, find out. Yeah. Um, as always, we want to hear from you guys. I know this is uh, an interesting interview and you probably have some thoughts or more questions that you'd like to find out. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. There are a few different ways we can hear from you. Uh, one is if you go to theartoffloating.com, there is a gold bar on the left side of the screen. If you click on that, um, you can leave a voicemail on your computer and we can play it on the air here and, and uh, let the world hear what you have to say or tr- do our best to answer your question. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, the podcast uh, Twitter handle is Artful Floating. Um, and Amy, where can they find you at? They can find me at Float Nashville. Perfect. And Lance? And I'm at the Float Shack. Perfect. And uh, we really do want to hear from you guys. Uh, we enjoy the social media aspect of it. And uh, until next time, keep floating. You're listening to the Art of Floating podcast.